Well, if you're at home, you're already seated, so you're ahead of us, but you can remain seated. Thank you for that, and thank you for worshiping with us, and I agree, Libby, there's just nothing like hearing the people of God sing the praises of God. It's an amazing thing, and so uh, I know for some of you, uh, being at home, you weren't willing to sing along with the phone. Uh, I get that, so it's good to be able to be back and to be able to sing together, uh, and then for some of you, maybe your, your family told you to stop singing because it was just that bad when there wasn't anybody else to drown it out. But we're glad uh, that you were singing and we're glad uh, for those of you who are following us at home right now. Last week we mentioned as we started this new series that that this church is 75 years old. And, and in those 75 years, we've seen a lot of changes. We actually didn't start off on this hill. And when we got to this hill, we didn't start off in this building. But I've got a picture for you of kind of the, the genesis of this whole deal. And I just got to tell you, I, I was thinking when I thought I was going to show this picture, thank God it's been so hot that we're not in a tent. I didn't realize that we were actually going to have liquid falling from the sky for the second time in 2020 uh, this morning. I'm glad we're not outdoors. That, that's the point, right? Uh, that this was how it all started, an open-air tent meeting. A, a couple in East Fort Worth had a heart to see God reach this community. And so they asked uh, a pastor, hey, would you come help us get a thing started? And they started in a tent, and that guy said, well, I'll help out for about a year. And then uh, in the first seven years of this story of Temple, we actually had seven different, seven different past pastors who said, I'll come serve for a season, uh, but I, I don't think this is where I'm supposed to stay permanently. And so um, then that's when George Crittenden came and then was here for 35 years. But that's where it all began. Pretty cool, right? And the thing is, this story is actually way longer than 75 years. Our origin story goes way further back than that. But I do not have a glossy photo I can show you of that beginning. What I do have is we do have a narrative that helps paint a picture of that. So I invite you please to grab your Bible. Uh, even if you're at home, grab a tablet or something where you can follow along with the text. We're going to look at a good bit of scripture this morning. And uh, what I'm going to ask you to do, uh, we're going to hold up our Bibles uh, or the device that we're using to follow along the text and say our creed together this morning before we dive in and see what God has for us today. So let's hold up our Bibles and let's declare this with some authority this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you're familiar with the Bible or if you've been around church life for a while, you know that Acts chapter 2 is kind of where this whole thing really begins. And that's where we're going to look this morning, this series that we're doing, just a couple weeks series here uh, called Church at Everywhere, which is intentionally bad grammar uh, because uh, we're kind of tying off the, this idea of church at home. Uh, that's what we're calling uh, our online platform uh, for those uh, who are more comfortable worshiping from, worshiping from home right now. Uh, it was the name of a talk we did back the second week into quarantine. But it's this bigger picture that church isn't just at home or just here. That this thing's a way bigger story that we belong to. It's one that isn't just about our generation or our moment in time or our piece of real estate. We belong to this grand and glorious thing uh, that is limitless and can't be stopped. And as we look at that this morning, I, I'm going to have a little throwback, okay? So when I uh, came out of Bible college, Jack and I went to the same Bible college, right? We were taught that good preachers always have points that start with the same letter, 
I have no idea, but we were told that was like gospel law. If you're a good preacher, you got all these points. And so when I first started out preaching 20-something years ago, I would spend probably more time trying to find that word to fit with my outline. And there is no word. It's like, I can't find a word that starts with Z that's about Jesus. you know. And, and I probably should have spent that time preparing actually with the rest of the stuff I was going to say. But this morning, uh, good throwback, uh, we have all the same letters to help us remember what we're talking about this morning. Uh, but that really wasn't on purpose. It just kind of happened that way. We're going to look first at just one verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The significance of that uh, might not have seemed as real to us four months ago as it does today, but the power of being together. And what I would say is there is something special about the place. There's something special about the people of God being together in a place. And it's not the place that makes it special. It's the together that makes it special. I've heard stories of some of you who are like, hey, here's the deal. I get the quarantine. I get the shutdown. But I really miss my church family. And so some of you have met with your community group and your closest friends, whatever. You've broke bread together. Your kids have played together, whatever. You're just like, I'm just, man, I really need that. And and here's what I would say. That desire to, to be together I don't think it's just temperament driven. I don't think it's just personality quirk. I don't think it's just being an outgoing person, Ben Robertson. I think it's more than that. I think God has wired into this thing called the body a desire to be together. And, and something just makes sense when we're together. It's, it's, it's right and healthy and good that the place would be special. And, and what we find in this context in Acts chapter 2 is a place Beyond any other place. We we read in in extra biblical writings that scholars believe that the upper room, like where the Last Supper happened, is actually where they stayed the whole last week of Jesus' life and ministry. What we call Holy Week. The week when we have Palm Sunday where Jesus enters in on the back of a donkey and people lay their clothes down and the donkey walks across it. Pretty weird. I don't see that happen very often. I don't know what you do for a living, but my world, we don't have donkeys walking on our clothes very often. Um, But it's this amazing thing, and they're waving palm branches, but they're declaring, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they went back to that place and went, whoa. Right? Like they unpacked the events of the day. So during that week, they also walk, uh, watch Jesus go into the temple, the holy place, and like flip out and flip tables and like drive people out who are stealing from the people of God. And they're like meek and mild, not so much. Whoa. And so I think they went back to that place that night and they were like, dude, don't mess with Jesus. Right. Like they also saw these incredible healings of Jesus in this week. They saw the power of a miraculous God in the flesh. And then they went back together in that place and talked about that. And then it's also the place. This is so amazing to me. It's the place where God knelt down and washed their dirty feet. Amazing, right? Because last week we talked about the fact that they already had been like out about what they believe Jesus to be. Peter had already been like, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You are the Son of the living God. Like they had had that working in their heads for quite a while now. And so imagine 
when God, is that crazy? Would stoop down that place and say, I'm going to wash your feet. And I, I love Peter's big mouth because he says the same thing that I would have said, only a little different. He's like, Jesus, I can't let you wash my feet. Right? Which I would have said that because I think that's disgusting. <laughs> not just because, like, I'm not worthy. <laughs> it also would have been like, ew, and I'm ticklish, and I don't want to kick the Son of God in the face, and, like, please don't do this. I'm telling you. Like, people ask, why have you never had a pedicure? I will kick sister in the face. I can't. Sorry, Jesus. So Peter says, Jesus, you can't do this. And then Jesus says, well, then you can't have a part of my healing and my forgiving. And Peter's like, sponge bath for one, please. Please wash all of me. You know, anyways, that holy moment is in that place. And then it's the place that Jesus serves Passover and says, this is going to be like my body broken for you. And they had no idea how, how soon that was coming. And this cup is like my blood that's going to be poured out for you. That was in that place. And then Jesus begins to talk to them. And, and in John's gospel, John 14 and the 13, 14, 15 and 16 and 17, all happen in that room that night. It's a lot of noteworthy stuff. For 2,000 years, we've known about what happened in that place on that one night. It's also the same place they came back and hid after Jesus had been arrested and rushed off to a mock trial. And then it's the place that I believe they sat in shame and regret and and embarrassment as they knew Jesus was being executed and they didn't have the courage to go stand with him, most of them. And then it's the place where they were grieving Together, suffering loss together. And then the morning of the third day. <laughs> That's the place that Mary came back. And I don't think she came back and was like, excuse me. Like, I believe she was like, y'all. I think she said y'all because it's in the Bible. I don't know. That place. That's the place they ran out of to go see the empty tomb. And then they, they see Jesus raised from the dead. They come back to that place. Now it's a place of celebration again, a whole new level of celebration. All those doubts about did we follow the wrong guy and did we get everything wrong is now like, whoa, what's next? And literally we read that in that place, Jesus just like appeared to them. Like nobody opened the door and Jesus was in the room. That's cool. Like straight up, beam me up, Scotty. Y'all are too young to know what that is. It's called Star Trek. In the room, that place. And it's the place that Thomas was like, I can't trust my eyes. And Jesus said, okay, (laughs) then touch my wounds. He touched the wounds that brought him healing. And then Jesus said, I have to go to my father now. Which, by the way, in that room... The night he was betrayed, he told him it was better for them that he goes away. Because I'm sending somebody that would be better for you than me. Okay, Jesus, trust me. Go wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. They gathered in that place, praying together. I've never been to a place that special. 
But in the last 11 and a half years, we've had great celebrations here. And we've also had some moments where we were memorializing a loved one in this place. We've, we've seen the whole kaleidoscope of life's experiences on this hill together in the last over a decade. It's, it's normal that a place would be special. It's the reason that in every single generation of this thing called the church for 2,000 years, there's been a part of the church that's still gathered even at risk of their own lives. They still gathered even though it was illegal to do so where they gathered, but they still gathered because there's just something special about the togetherness of the people of God. The place matters. Being together matters. It's just not the most important thing. It matters, but there are some things that matter way more. They're gathered in that special place. And then verse 2 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. Please give more details. Nope, not, I don't know. And rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know what's more important than the place? It's the power. What makes the place way more important or way less important rather is the power of God. And if we're more attracted to or interested in the place than the power, then we have an elementary understanding of what church is. Because I believe it's possible to gather in the place, the familiar place, the place that has a lot of great memories, good and bad, and we've done life together in the place, and so we miss the place, and let's get together in the place, and then it all becomes about the ritual or the attendance or the just showing up at the place. And this thing called the church has never been limited to a place. It's been all about the power. And it's completely possible to build a whole system around a place and miss the power. And, and, and for those who've been like, man, I really missed the routine after quarantine and I missed the shutdown and I've missed seeing faces or at least half of faces of my friends. If we've missed the place more than we've longed for the power, then what I believe we need a scripture reset this morning of what church really means. Because if it's just about gathering together in a place, we're no different than a social club. It's just real estate, y'all. And really not that fancy real estate. Like, we can do better. Like, it's just a square building. If it's just about the place, we're an event center. We're a, we're, we're a venue for weddings and funerals. We're, we're a mini convention center. Which, by the way, is the way that the world sees the church. It's the way the culture sees the church. Because when event centers and venues were being opened back up in recent weeks, they used the same parameters for how churches were being allowed to open. Because in the mind of the culture, there's no difference between us and a convention center. And I would submit to you, if we're not longing for a move of the power of God, they're right. If we have a hunger and a thirst, not just to be together, 
but to experience a move of God, that's where the world changes. That's where who we are as, as married couples change. It's who we are as parents change. I don't know what problem you walked in with today, but I do know the solution. It's the manifest Pentecostal power of God in your life. Do we long for his power? But before I give this example of power or this illustration of power, I want to pause for just a second. The stenographer is going to put a parenthesis here. This is just an inserted thought. Because I'm going to share a story about our family's time in Florida in recent weeks dealing with my dad's estate after his death. And, and I just want to pause and say to actual persons, I said this to a camera a few weeks ago, but I want to say to y'all, thank you for how you've loved on our family. Thank you for the calls and the texts and the emails and the visits and the meals, uh, especially the meals. Thank you for those. Um, Zoanna Keys, thank you for those brownies. I, I experienced the power of God. <laughs> thank you for how well you've loved on our family since my dad's death. Um, I wanted a chance to say that to your faces. End parenthesis, return to sermon now. Okay. So, no, erase parenthesis. Let me say one more thing. I know that there's a group of y'all who were praying for our family. And I want to say a special thank you to that. Like we, the stories of the things we saw God do on my mom's behalf in a three-week window, just crazy. My mom's, okay, during COVID-19 lockdown of real estate, people can't even visit a house and houses aren't selling in Jacksonville, Florida anyways. My mom's house sold in 25 hours. So for those of you who are praying, thank you. Pray the appraisal goes through. Okay. <laughs> now stick that parenthesis back and we can return to the sermon, regularly scheduled programming. Um, so while we were down there and dealing with all the details of all of that, of a state sale and packing my mom's stuff in a pod and going through 53 years of marriage worth of stuff and all of that. In the midst of all that, uh, Marisa's sister said, let's just slip away for a day. So on a Sunday after we did church with all of y'all online, um, we slipped away for the day because uh, our brother-in-law's parents have retired and gotten a place on Jekyll Island. Um, it's in Georgia. It's just across the Florida line. And uh, we'd never been there before. She's like, you need to come see it. It's really cool. Life on the island is just neat. And it'll be a break from all of this. And we can go to the Driftwood Beach. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. But anything other than this would be great for a day. Let's go. And so we went to uh, Jekyll Island. And we went and visited, sure enough, Driftwood Beach. And like, this is a big deal. Driftwood Beach is a big deal. Like people do weddings here. People get their engagement pictures here. Like, people come just to take pictures to see how has the driftwood drifted in the last 24 hours. What, like, it's just a big deal, right? And this was still during, like, much lockdown quarantine time. And yet there was a ton of people there taking pictures and, like, all hanging out. It was this big deal. And uh, there's another picture of Maurice and I where it shows a little bit of just that picture doesn't show the height of that. That's a giant thing, you know. It really was cool. And so we're standing there like, oh, this is cool. And the boys are crawling all over it. And Maurice was like, don't fall and die. And I'm like, they're fine. Because, Dad, they're fine. Um, and in the midst of it, I'm just like, wait a second. We're like celebrating death here on this beach. Like for these trees, this is like Normandy. 
Like, okay, so the way driftwood is a thing is the north end of Jekyll Island is eroding. And so literally the life underneath these trees is being washed out with every wave that crashes on the shores and the trees die a little bit more. But the salt water petrifies the trees, not scares them, preserves them. Thank you. Preserves the trees so they become like this little dead museum thing. And then people get married next to the dead trees. Like, what represents new young love like death? (laughs) Right? Our love can survive anything except for waves. We'll we'll be dead. I mean, it's just like this beach of pictures. But here's the thing. I think it's completely possible for a church to keep doing churchy things in the place. And the whole lifeblood is just eroding underneath our feet. The stuff of life and the busyness of life and the whatever of life. And literally people can show up and take their pictures and you can even check in on Facebook and it still not have a move of the power of God. This morning I believe we need a fresh hunger for the power of God in the church. But here's the thing about his power. His power doesn't rest on a place. The place is important. His power might move in a place, but it always rests on people. The power of God always rests on people who bear the image of the God who's moving. And we read this extraordinary part of the story here in verse number five. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> if I see a tongue of fire, where's my phone? Nothing. No tongues. Okay. I was getting excited. (laughs) I was about to say something. Oh, yes. Okay. At this sound, the multitude came together. So think about what that means. So people were so moved by the power of God that other people were drawn to find out what's God doing in your life. Anyways, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Oh, I love that word. That's such a weird word. Bewildered. What if we were a people so filled with the power of God that people scratched their head when they had an encounter with us? Not at our weirdness, but at they felt a breeze blow. Mm. They're bewildered because each one of them was hearing, this is so important, hearing them speak in his own language. 
not all of a sudden they had supernatural understanding to understand the language of the speakers. No, the first time that the church ever proclaimed the gospel in our Genesis moment, in our origin story, the first time the church ever proclaimed the truth of Jesus, they met the culture where it was. They didn't tell the culture to come to them. The first time that the church ever spoke into the culture, they didn't say, be like us and then we'll tell you about Jesus. They heard it in their own language. And, and then we have this awesome detail, right? Well, verse 7, good grief, yeah. They were amazed and astonished. Wouldn't you be? Saying, are not all these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Verse 9, he starts listing them, and I love this. Because think about how little detail we've been given, right? This is Luke writing here. I wish Luke would have told us more about the tongues as of fire. What does that mean? I've never seen fire that looked like a tongue. I don't know what that means, right? Is anybody else confused by the tongue of fire? I don't know what that means. But here he gives us detail about the beautiful diversity of the Genesis moment of this thing called the church. Like he lists it all out in great detail for us. Places that I've never even heard of that I don't think exist anymore. Cultures that haven't survived the church. Parthians, never heard of it. And Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Uh, Fergia and Pamphylia, that totally sounds like a disease. <laughs> Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. I know Rome. I know that one. Both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. How cool is that, that he takes the time to list them all out? Because the power of God wants to rest on the people that God is calling from every culture, from every background, from every language. Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed. I love that. This is amazing, but I have no idea what's going on. Saying to one another, what does this mean? The power of God always rests on people. And I don't have a lot of time to park here. I'll just say this. So the, the Quakers, they, they made good oatmeal. <laughs> but they had some, some messed up theology in some areas that we would, not, we would not agree with some of their theology. Maybe we're messed up. Um, but there's one thing the Quakers had in their tradition that I think is awesome. The Quakers refused to call the building where they gathered to worship the church because they did not want their children growing up believing that the place was the church they wanted them to grow up knowing that they were the church isn't that good so they called the building a steeple house we don't have steeples anymore so that doesn't help us much but they were like no it's just a house with a steeple on it i love that like what's the big deal it's just a house with a steeple on it because it it's really, at the end of the day, not actually about the place. We're the church. Whether we're at home, whether we're together, whether we're on quarantine, whether we're at work, whether we're out to eat, whether we're not allowed to be out to eat, whatever we're doing, we're the church. 
For those of you who are back to work, tomorrow the church will go to work. Church isn't on Sunday. We are the church. The place is important. It's just that the power is way more important. And that power rests on very real people who in their generation long for a move of the Spirit of God. Here's here's where we will begin to end this morning. I'm not going to read any more text because really the whole rest, there's 47 verses in Acts chapter 2 that I highly encourage you to read. But they answer by going, man, what is, what's all this about? And Peter stood up and preached the first sermon in the history of the church. Because what Peter was displaying for all of us is the place matters, just not near as much as the power resting on people who are walking in divine purpose. See, the whole point of gathering together and experiencing the power of God is actually not just for our own warm fuzzies. It's so that every person might know that there's hope in Jesus Christ. Our purpose is bigger than just us. And and, and my hope would be that maybe somehow during quarantine we've realized how connected we are to the world. And, and maybe it's, it's helped churches, especially in the U.S., see a, a broader world. And that church isn't just about us in our little moment. And I'm afraid it's done the opposite. I'm afraid we've been like, I miss my thing. As though it's just for us. As though it's just about us. And, and I say this not intending to shame or be unkind, but I've watched in the last several months people talk about how bad they want to go back to church, but they've never told a single person how they can be saved. And I think that's a faulty misunderstanding of what it means to be the church. We have divine purpose placed upon us. And if this thing is just about us we've lost our way so I asked my oldest son to do some math for me he, he's been better at math than me since he was four years old not because he's brilliant because I'm that bad at math and I say that because if this math is wrong I'm totally throwing him under the bus backing the bus up parking the bus And you can see him. Okay. So I asked him this. I said, hey, I want to figure out what percentage of the world comes to temple every Sunday. And according to the math that we sat down and figured together for round numbers, it is point zero, 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 zero. 3%. Like if this thing is just about us, we comprise approximately 30 millionth of 1% of the world's population. I think we belong to something bigger than just us, right? 
And, and I think about, I think about the way I, that I think most Christians feel about sharing the story of Jesus with other people. It's an intimidating thing. And, and I think about Peter in that moment. Like he truly could say, I don't know what to say. I've never done this before. Because quite literally, no one had done that before. He could have been like, dude, that wind thing was awesome. Let's go back to the room and see if we can't get more tongues of fire and make s'mores and have a new communion together. Like, let's just come together. That was great. What's with all the strangers here? I don't even speak their language. We're not even from the same background. I don't know how to talk to them. I might offend them. I might... So many Christians tell me they're just so afraid of getting it wrong. As though we're that big of a deal that we can corrupt the gospel by telling somebody that Jesus loves you and laid down his life for you. See, I believe that this thing called the church has a glorious purpose. And, and, and gathering... It's part of our DNA. But going, that's our destiny. It's, it's wonderful to gather together, but we're not about a multitude. We're about a message. We're about a movement. That the people of God would take this story that's changed our lives and just tell one person at a time, Jesus loves you. That's the purpose who we are, a people who gather, and then a people who go. As, as, as I thought about these last couple months, can we just be real? It's been strange, right? It, we're, we're getting updates on our phone every day about the number of people dying from just one virus. And, and here's the deal. What, what I know can we please get to the other side of any conspiracy theory so that you can hear my heart on this? I know that some people in this room are like, not all those were COVID-related deaths. Hospitals are exaggerating it because they need government funding. And some people died from stuff that had nothing to do with COVID. So even if they had COVID, it's not why they died. And I mean, I've heard all that and I've read all that research and I get that, but that's not what I'm talking about. So push that aside for just a second. Maybe you're a numbers person and you're like, dude, they're telling us the numbers of COVID deaths, but people are still dying more from other stuff. Well, that means the numbers are even worse. Because here's what I've been focused on the last couple months. Not what people are dying from, but that with these restrictions, people are dying alone. The first person in my world that I knew was Emily Richland from our church who, who died a COVID-related death. She was in a hospital room without a single loved one for three weeks. By the time her family was able to come tell her goodbye, she was already gone. That's real. Whether you think the news is spinning stuff or whatever, that's real. Nearly a half a million people around the world. Over 120,000 right here in the U.S. That's real. And I experienced it with my own dad. 
I've not talked publicly about this much because I'm not ready to talk much about this because it was um, difficult. But the hospital called, said, you got to get on a plane. you got to get here now. And in a couple hours, I was already in the air and on the way, the hospital realized we can't let you in the building because of COVID stuff. And we... Um, that was not an acceptable answer. So we made quite a stink and went up a bunch of levels and layers of raising a ruckus of things. And um, Greg never was able to, my brother Greg was never able to come in and be with my mom in that moment. But they did let me in the building um, with a police escort and hospital administrator. I told you it was a thing. It was and I'm being escorted to my father's room. And this hospital administrator said, hey, the medical term for your father's condition is called imminent death. I said, okay. He said, no, you don't understand. Because of COVID, we can't let families in unless death is imminent. And even then, it's very regulated, which is why we weren't supposed to let you in. And whatever. And I said, so wait a second. So what you're telling me is all these people who are dying, most of them, the loved one isn't being allowed in the room until the person's non-responsive. And he just hung his head. He said, it's awful. I've never seen anything like it. Those are real people, y'all. And here's what... Here's what's been just grieving my heart for months. Is this question, what could be worse than laying in a stale, cold hospital room dying alone? I believe there's an answer to that. It's dying without hope of the next life. It's dying without anybody ever telling you that God laid down his own son so that you could live again. That you don't have to end this life with despair. There's a promise of paradise. There's a promise of heaven for all who place their faith in Jesus. And I just can't help thinking about the half a million people. Did anybody tell them? <laughs> Did they ever have a conversation with a coworker who was like, dude, I know this is weird, but I just got to tell you something. Did a neighbor ever say, hey, I know we're not this close, but I want to talk religion for a minute. Dear God, let's not talk politics, but I want to talk religion for a minute. Did they ever have a family member that says, hey, I don't think I'm better than you because I go to church, but I need to tell you what I really believe. And you can do with it what you want. Did a friend ever say, hey, dude, I didn't get religion. It's, it's, it's more than that. Can I share my story? And I'll tell you this, I, um, the first time I watched the video of George Floyd's death, that same question screamed in my heart 
Is there anything worse than dying on the street? Here's the thing, there actually is. And we hold the answer to that hope. And so church, I'm just telling you, I, I believe there needs to be an awakening of the people of God to long for His power enough to tell another person how they can know Jesus. And so here's what I would say to you this morning. The first thing I want to say is if you're in this room or if you're watching online right now and you don't know for sure, as sure as a human being can be sure, that you have a relationship with God, that if you were to die today, you believe with everything in you, you would be in the presence of God. If you don't know that's true for you, I want you to hear me right now. You can know today the hope of a relationship with God. Before you walk out these doors, before this live stream ends, you can know what it is to have a relationship with the living God. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing one last song that talks about the beauty and the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. As we're singing that song, Lance Briley and I will be down here, down front. There's going to be somebody in the prayer room in the back. And if you're watching online, there's a link by this video that simply says, Can We Talk? If you'll click that, it'll take you to a form where you can fill out to engage in a conversation because we think no conversation in the world is more important than you knowing that you know God. We think it's the most important thing in the universe. And so guess what? If you need to have that conversation today, you're the most important thing in our little universe. If you know that to be true, if you face the reality of death with confidence, then here's what I would challenge you with today. Are we sharing that story of hope with the next person who crosses our path? Not preaching a giant sermon and making sure you've got it all right. You're just telling somebody the simple gospel story. And I'm going to ask you to take a step of action. For everybody in this room, here's the deal. If if you have our our Temple FW app, you can look at it there. If you're on our email list in the bulletin that was sent to you on Friday, or you can go to our church's Facebook page, facebook.com slash Temple FW. You'll see that we posted a video the end of last week. It's a five-minute video that simply explains the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you can receive that through faith and call out for salvation. It's a a gospel presentation that points to this fragile time that we're living in right now. If you look in the bulletin or on the app, it simply has a graphic of that and says share hope. And maybe there's somebody you need to copy that link and text it to a friend and say, hey, I know we've been talking about this. This explains what I've been trying to fumble through or I haven't known how to say or however you want to word that, whatever. Maybe you want to tag them on social media, open the conversation up right there for the world to see. Maybe you just want to share it to your page. Be like, hey, this is what my hope is based upon right here. Here's the story of Jesus. This is meant to just be a simple tool for us to fulfill the role of church. That the reason we do this isn't just to sit in this room. It's so that another generation can face life knowing that when death comes, their eternity is secure.
in a relationship with the living God. We want that to be true for you and your neighbor. So right now, I invite you to stand where you are. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back up to the stage. We're going to sing this song about the name of Jesus. Before we sing about it, we want to pray in the name of Jesus. So will you pray with me now? Father, thank you for making a way. Thank you that for those of us who've placed our faith in the work, the life, the death, and the resurrection of your son, that we can even face death itself with hope. We can face economic downfall or downturn with hope. We can face division and, and, and pain with hope. We can face quarantine with hope. We can face marital struggles with hope because we've experienced the transformation of a relationship with you, God. I pray if there's anybody in this room today or anybody who's watching online today that doesn't know for sure that they know you, Holy Spirit, please give them the courage. Please give them the courage to reach out and begin a conversation. Thank you for making a way. We bless your name. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.